Good morning. Great to be here. This is everyone okay? All good? I know people are thinking, who's that? Who's that chick up the front? I feel a little bit like a local because I live around here. In fact, we used to live down on dirty old Dombuck Road. Yeah. And I've got a little story for you to start off today. And as I do that, my, my lovely assistants, my lovely husband, Michael and, and Debbie there, are giving out some handouts because today we're going to be talking about something that's really, really close to my heart. But I want to start with a little story just to orient myself here. And during my story, I'm actually going to have some giveaways because you guys might know some answers to my questions. So life is unexpected, right? Yeah? The older I get, the more unexpected it becomes. If the last two years have taught us anything, we don't really know what's around the corner. We think we do, but we don't. And uh, so not that long ago, I wrote off my daughter's car. Now, that's not the normal order of the universe. Normally, your child would write off your car. Who's had a kid write off their car? Over there? Come on. All right, you get a CD. Pass one back to her. There you go, Ian. <laughs> Give her a CD. She's getting a CD because, goodness me, that's normal. See, that's normal. Okay, so who, who's had a kid crash their car? That's normal. That's the normal order of the universe. I like to do things a bit differently, so I wrote off her car. Now, I drove it out onto dirty old Dombuck Road and ran it into the back of a park truck. Now, my house that I used to live in, um, for those of you, who, who's local, who knows Massey well? Yeah, all right. I'm going to give one of these away to who can tell me the name of the Thai restaurant on dirty old Dombuck Road, opposite the house with the yellow door, also the one where there was a headhunters down the back, a few stabbings and shootings. Kutai, give her a CD. There you go. Kutai, that probably doesn't matter, but they've probably gone under because since we, we used to ring them, you know, Michael was basically, he would just ring and say, oh, hi, and as soon as they heard his voice, they straight away put in an order for chicken wings because they knew that we were right there, so we could walk across there. Anyway, so that was across the road from where I wrote off her car. Now, the rest of the story, I don't really have an excuse for writing off her car, so I'll move on. Now, I took her car up to a panel beater, I love doing this because I don't normally get to do this. Um, a panel beater that is just along the road here on the left-hand side. Who said that? Keith, yeah, knew it. Have you visited them many times? <laughs> Have you written off your... <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, right, I can tell, I can tell. My husband drives like a maniac too, so I, I, felt a, a, I felt like a kindred spirit there. I took him out to Newwich, and he was lovely, and I said, can I have a loan car? And he said, sure, no problem. And, and then he started to give me some instructions around the car. Now, he said some really important stuff. He said, now, Julia, instead of this car having a handbrake, it's got a footbrake. Now, that's important information, right? Has anybody here got a car that doesn't have a handbrake, it's got a footbrake? Right, this guy here. There's a lot of footbrakes. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. passing it on already. It's got a foot break. Now, I tucked that away into my conscious brain. Very important information. I thought, I need that. But then he started going on and on. With the greatest of respect to Mr. Newich, he started to mansplain. <laughs> Ladies, you know what I mean. Blah, blah, diesel, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> now, I'm more of a big picture kind of a girl. I'm not really that interested in detail, so I switched off at that point. Anyway, I pulled up to the first intersection which was just over here. To my left was McDonald's. To my right was uh, a building that used to be farmers back in the day. And to my, that direction, what large yellow building would I have been looking at? 
Hands up, pack and save. There she goes, pack and save. Pass that, oh, over there to you. Thank you. I pulled up on that intersection on a hill. I looked at the girl next to me, and at this point, my conscious brain and my subconscious brain began to have a korero, a little conversation. And my conscious brain said, oh, foot break, foot break. The man said foot break. So I put on the foot break, and I felt really happy with myself. I felt like I was nailing life. Smug and self-satisfied I was. But unfortunately, we all know and we begin to understand that our conscious brain is just a little bit of what's going on. It's the tip of the iceberg compared to the subconscious thought of what's going on in our world. Now, Michael, my husband and I have the incredible privilege of traveling around the country and around the world talking to people about learning to be kind to your mind, learning more about how our incredible brains operate. Instead of putting to the one side and ignoring that they even exist or fighting them and battling them and trying to suppress them in some way, we are learning more about our brains. And so in this moment, I realise that my subconscious brain is still talking. Because every time we make a decision, we don't just bring to the table our conscious thought. We bring our history, we bring our past, we bring our upbringing, we bring our cultural bias, we bring all the things and these inform our decisions. So we might feel like we're nailing it, but next minute. Now my subconscious brain was also saying in the background, normally at this hand, your left hand would have something to do. Now someone in all their wisdom had designed this car so that where the handbrake would normally be was the handle that makes the seat lie down. <laughs> I know, clearly not designed by a woman, right? And I disappear. I had a handbrake moment. I thought I was doing so well. Now, we all have these handbrake moments where we feel like we're nailing life, but unfortunately, things don't always quite turn out. In church, often we don't talk about these things. One of my big handbrake moments has been getting a diagnosis of clinical depression and anxiety. A number of years ago, I'd been married very happily for 17 years to my childhood sweetheart. And uh, in, in one conversation, very suddenly, my marriage was over, my family had been disbanded, and I found myself having this handbrake moment, dealing with stress and pressure that I hadn't really been prepared for. And if you could see a stressometer in my world, it would have been just going up and up and up and up. And I was still praying the same prayers and still going to the same church and still doing all the same things, but I began to realise I was dealing with something more than just a bad day. I've got to be honest with you guys, it's been a deeply humbling experience. I like to say my life is like a long series of getting knocked off my high horse and getting back on progressively smaller horses. And right now, I'm saddling up a chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> so today, that's just a little bit of an introduction of what we're doing, and I actually want to start with something that's very non-Kiwi. I don't normally do, uh, we do this, but I'm actually going to tell you who I am. Now, this is not to toot my own trumpet, but actually, in the topic of mental health, I feel that it's important that you know you're in safe hands. I'm not just jumping up here, making this up, and pretending that I know what I'm talking about. Is that cool? That's very non-New Zealand of me, isn't it? But... All good. So I have uh, 30 years of teaching experience. In fact, Nate's kids have been the recipient of many of my teaching years. Um, I have a certificate in Mind Health Carer. I am the Educator of the Year and Breakthrough Speaker of the Year with Professional Speakers Association. And uh, I'm a contributor on Radio Rima. Who, has anyone heard any of the material that I've put into Rima or sh uh, Star or Shine? Fantastic. 
around mental health. I'm also a Tui award-winning singer-songwriter and I'm married to Michael. My kids are Bella and Jesse. So I bring to the table all of those things, but my most important credential is actually lived experience. So according to the, uh, the Mental Health Foundation, one in two New Zealanders will meet the criteria for a mental health diagnosis in their lifetime. So they may not get one, but they could. That's half of our population, and yet the first person I heard talking about mental health in church was me. Eight years ago, I was diagnosed. I was asked to speak at a conference, and they said, what are you going to talk about? I was like, well, I'm depressed. Might as well talk about that. So I got up and gave my, my point of view and gave it from a Christian lens. Two doctors and a psychologist came to my session. I'm so glad I didn't know in advance they were coming because I would have been panicking. But they came up and said, we appreciate your point of view. So I kept on going. Statistics also tell us that one in six will be experiencing the physical symptoms of a mental wellness challenge right now. Now I just want you for a moment just to sit with that statistic and put that into your home. Pop that into your workplace. Put that into your friend group, your whanau group. And think that at any given time, one in six. Now, if you look down the aisle and you see five sane people, you're it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's not how statistics work. No. But, <laughs> but the point is, it's more than we think. And if there's somebody who is struggling and very, really finding this difficult to deal with, often we don't want to be brave enough to put our hand up. So if you've got five sane people and no crazy one, I'll come and be it. Michael, he could be yours as well, because we're, we're crazy too. That's all good. So why am I here? I reckon we need better mental health language, because better words means better conversations. Now this really landed for me. My dad deals with dementia. Does anyone got um, elderly parents dealing with mental health issues? It's an incredibly challenging time, yeah? And he deals with dementia. He's been put into a rest home. And um, I got a call or a, a message on the family group chat. I was at school one day, and I got this message, and they said, your dad has been expelled from his rest home. Now, he's been expelled twice. <laughs> the humour is not lost on my family, trust me, that nobody else has been expelled from anything except my dad, who's decided at 86 he's going to be naughty. So he's getting expelled left, right, and centre from places, and we're like, oh, my gosh, who's going to take him now? So I get this message, and it says, the lady says he's being moved to a different area. It's called this the psychogeriatric ward. I'm like, could you come up with a better name? Psycho. Sounds like my dad's in the shower going, <laughs> you know, or it just sounds so awful. The language around our mental health is hard. It's difficult. De the word depression sounds depressing. Anxiety is tricky because it's complicated. Am I anxious and that's normal because, you know, wondering if I left the hair straightener on or am I actually in a spiral of clinical anxiety? The language is tough and it's difficult to bring it out into the open. We're unlikely to turn up in the morning and be like, oh, how's your weekend? Oh, great. You know, just had a little psychotic break on Saturday, you know, but today feeling much better. We don't have good language. Now, because I'm a school teacher, I know from scientific backing that we only learn when we feel. The times that we learn stuff is when we feel something. And so we can feel sad and remember or feel upset and remember, but wouldn't it be better if we felt happy and remembered? Because joy and humour makes us remember stuff. So when we have fun around our language, we can have actually 
better words. So better words, better conversations. So on your handout, I have given this to you so that you can take it home. And today I'm going to start, I've got a short time today and a short time next week. I'm going to get as far through as I can. And next week will be part two. I'm like Lord of the Rings, except only two rings. I'm not a trilogy, I'm a duology, whatever that is. Um, But I will be here again next week doing the second half. But these are what I call my grabbable words. So what are grabbable words? They're words you can grab for when you're under pressure. Now why do we need them? We need them because of the orange one down there. That's our first grabbable word today. Stressed out brains are offline brains. Stressed out brains are offline brains, and that is called sobob. Give me a thumbs up if you know what I mean by sobob. What do I mean? Stressed out brains are offline brains. You'd be surprising how long it takes to land. The further I go down the country, (laughs) no, I'm kidding, Um, they struggle. But stressed out brains are offline brains. And so what this means is right in the middle of a pressure point, when we're feeling under pressure, when we're feeling wobbly and stressed, we can't think of what to say. Now the problem is when we're not feeling that great, when we're having a bit of a wobbly day, feeling a bit rubbish, people ask us really hard questions like, how are you? What's wrong? My personal favourite, if there's anything I can do, let me know. (laughs) Because the problem is, is that brains under pressure lose the ability to problem solve. Okay, now I'm going to put my science geek hat on here. I'm going to do a little bit of a thing. If you imagine two front parts of your brain, this part over here on, on the other side, we've got a tiny little almond-shaped part of our brain called the amygdala. Amy the amygdala, I call her. And she's kind of like the little kid. And she's over here going, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm annoyed, I'm grumpy. And the limbic system is very automatic. That's a part of our brain that is childlike and hard to reason with, okay? This is for your toddler having a little tantrum or your husband having a mantrum. (laughs) Now, it doesn't mean you're a child, but it's the part of your brain that literally is just trying to keep you safe, and that's fine. So Amy, the amygdala over here, is having a little tanty, but luckily, on this side... We've got Nelly, the neocortex, the front part of our brain, which tells Amy to calm down. Now, this part of our brain's a little bit more grown up, and it says things like, it's okay. They're probably not trying to hurt you. That person who pulled out on you in traffic doesn't have a personal grievance against you. They're probably just having a bad day. Calm down, Amy. This is the part that gives us rational thinking gives us good choices and the ability to predict the outcomes of our decisions. This is the part that isn't fully developed in young men until about 23. Second born son, science tells us, sometimes up to 34 years old. (laughs) I hate to break it to you. Now it doesn't mean they can't do it, it just means it's not fully developed. This is why teenagers make rash decisions because Amy's going, yeah, 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 jump off the bridge. And Nellie's like, "Mm, yeah, sounds good to me. And they are actually in there. Now, normally as an adult, those two parts of our brain cancel each other out, right? We get really upset, and then this part tells us to calm down. Brains under pressure, those two parts of our brains have stopped talking. Just in the moment where you need the ability to do problem solving, your problem solving part has gone offline. 
Someone has switched it off at the wall. So when someone says, how are you? You're like, uh, 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 I don't know. When someone says, is there anything I can do to help? You're just like, mm, can't think of anything. And our brains go offline. So we start to grab for language. And sometimes we grab for words that are really harmful and hurtful and we say things to others that can cut them down. Sometimes we grab for words that hurt ourselves. Sometimes we just don't grab for any words at all and we go absolutely silent. So my gift to you today of the grabbable words is not just a piece of paper, it's story starters and language beginners. So next time somebody is actually pressuring you or something's going wrong, you can think to yourself, hmm, it's okay, cause so Bob. Stressed out brains are what? Offline brains. Give them a break and give yourself a break too. All right, our next one is actually where the grabbable words have come from. This is one of my favourite psalms, and I use this psalm to walk me through a lot of wobbly times, and I've actually found it incredibly helpful, and this is where my resources have grown from. I use these things in school, I use them with the DHB, I use them in all sorts of areas, but they have actually come from this psalm. And David said, unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. I would have kept my mouth shut, I would have said nothing. When I said my foot is slipping, your love, O oh Lord, supported me. Not your love, O oh Lord, wrapped me in cotton wool and made my life easy and sweet as. I'm still looking for the scripture that says, yay, verily, it's going to be sweet as. If you find it, let me know. <laughs> it's probably in numbers somewhere because let's face it, no one's ever read that. Um, I wish Numbers was written by a woman. Would have had much more interesting information in there than just begat, begat, begat. I want to know what they looked like and, you know, what they wore to the wedding and stuff. But anyway, it's just not the promise that everything is going to be fine. What the promise is, is that I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. The Bible doesn't tell us there will be no storm. The Bible says God will walk with you through the storm. The inference is, is that something is happening. Now we use this wonderful model, Te Whare Tapafar. Who's familiar with this model? Fantastic health model. This model allows me to speak about spiritual matters in very secular environments, and I really love that. But what it says is that each one of us, to, to ourselves, there's more than one facet. There's not just one wall. So if you imagine a little whare, and we walk along here, and we think, if we imagine this is Tahafano, our relationships wall. Have a little think with me. Just walk through your imagination. Tahafano. How are your relationships? How are those things in your wall, in your world? Are there bits falling down in your wall? Are there relationships that are broken down? Are there people standing on the outside of your house throwing rocks at the wall? If we imagine that the fare protects us from a storm, how warm are you inside your fare? Is there someone on your wall you think, oh man, I haven't spoken to so-and-so for ages. I'd love to spend some time with them. I might dig out their phone number and have a chat. Are there some memories of relationships? My grandma is a significant part of my tahafano, but she has passed away. But her memory remains in my wall because I can imagine her voice in my head saying, oh, Julia, you're doing a good job. And I love that. How are your relationships? If we imagine the back there, Tahinangaro, how is your brain? How are you feeling? 
How's your capacity? Are you tipping over the edge? I've got this concept called the Muppet Bucket. The Muppet Bucket is the bucket which allows me to give grace to people who are being Muppets. You know, the ones that pull out on you and you're like, oh, there you go. You know, the one who's like on the phone and being like, oh, there you go, the kids at school, not your kids, clearly. Um, you know, there you go, it allows you. Now, the problem is, is when there's holes in your bucket, unfortunately, our ability to be nice drains out. And COVID's basically just put a hole in the bottom of my bucket, my Muppet bucket, and I find myself sometimes I've run dry with grace. Is anyone resonating with this? That doesn't mean you've got a lot of Muppets around you, but it might. <laughs> Let's face it, we live in West Auckland. There's quite a few. Um, but, you know, our ability to actually deal with stuff is run dry. How is your brain? What are you doing to help to refill the bucket? What are you doing to refill yourself when you feel like there's nothing left? How are you dealing and looking after your mental health? Over here, Tahatinana, we've got our physical well-being. How's your body? How's your health? How's your fitness? Ooh, went very quiet there for a minute, didn't it? Awful. Now, often in church, we don't. People say, "Oh, I don't need to talk about our body because I'm a spirit man." Like I understand what you're saying, but stub your toe and come back to me. We are not disembodied spirits floating around in the atmosphere. If God wanted us to be, we would be, but we're not. We live in a physical body and we actually, how we treat that body has a huge bearing on how we feel on a day-to-day -day basis. I think we've got to be smart. Are we praying for good health while sitting in the KFC line? might have an altar call right now, shall we? <laughs> I'm first up. No. You know, but, but sometimes we've got to be a bit more pragmatic about what God has put into our hands, yeah? And of course, finally, we've got Taha Wairua, our spiritual wall. And that's why we're here today. We're here to gather, to, to praise and to worship and to fellowship and do all those spiritual things. But I want to challenge you to continue to walk around your whare and see how things are going. Because sometimes in church we spend so long dealing on the spiritual side we forget that there are other parts to us as well. Sometimes we pray for things that we could do ourselves. Too soon? Yeah. Oh Lord, make me fit. Oh, if only you could make a way that I could get fit. Speak the spirit of fitness all over me. <laughs> Bind the fat, loose it. Oh, is that, what's that? City fitness. Oh, $6.95 a week. <laughs> or I could just go for a walk, right? Sometimes we need to use, I'm a big believer in faith and works together. I believe that we can pray. I believe that we can use our faith. But I also believe that we need to put our faith into action. Faith and works and faith and works. So if you're praying for your health, that is a wonderful thing. But I also want to say, what are you doing for your health? And pray, and do, and pray. Yeah? Do you hate me yet? No, we're good, we're good. All right, moving on. All right, so I believe that mental wellness uh, things are reasonable, universal, and manageable. Reasonable, they make a lot of sense. We've spent years in church fighting our brains, trying to, uh, I don't know, cast out our ability to think. And actually, we need to understand that mental wellness challenges are a reasonable 
response of the body to the pressures of life. They make a lot of sense. If you put your brain under enough pressure, it will start flicking some off switches. And you know what? If it doesn't, you're in a dangerous space. There's a good reason why your house has a fuse box. Because if you put too much electricity through all of those things, unfortunately you're going to end up with a fire. We need some switches that go, stop, reset, take a break. So when your brain is feeling burnt out and stressed and, and pressured, rather than fighting and, oh, God, I'm so dumb, or, oh, God, take it away, stop and say, what are you trying to tell me? Have a listen to your brain. Reasonable. Secondly, universal, we are all on a wellness spectrum. This is not about the sick people and the, the, the well people, the dumb people and the smart people. This is about everybody on a spectrum of well-being. Now, there's always someone in every group who's like, oh, I don't need to talk about wellness stuff, Julia. I'm really well. Well, you can always get weller. Because you can tell a weller woman. <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to help me. By the way, she wears her hair. And of course, in the wonderful words of Rachel Hunter, it won't happen overnight. Oh, amen. Some young ones are like, what just happened? Ask your mother. Normal, normal. Totally normal. And great news, manageable. There are so many tools in the toolbox. If I could tell you one thing today, it is that yes, I have a diagnosis of depression and anxiety, but I still lead a beautiful life. I lead a productive life. Some days I wake up and depression is big in my world and I have to dig deep. I have to get all the tools out of my toolbox, the practical ones, the spiritual ones, the whanau ones, the mental health ones. I have to do them all. Other days I wake up and it's like, you wouldn't even know. And that is okay for every single one of us. Now I'm going to um, jump into our red corner today. Can I just see what the time, my, my countdown time has gone off. It's just telling me that it's, it's not gone off as in telling me to get off. But what time am I finishing? It stopped telling me. Five, ten minutes. Perfect, perfect. What was that? He said 50 minutes. Yep, perfect. All right. Now, um, is to recognise your wobbly point. All right. Now, wobbly point. What is your wobbly point? The wobbly point is the point at which your body is getting into stress response and it's telling you that if you don't make a change, something is going to go wrong. Now, everybody responds differently to stresses of mental wellness. And so my challenge to you today is to just start the conversation around the wobbly point. All right? Now, the thing I love about the language of the wobbly point is you can come in today, if we all agree that speaking about our mental health, we can talk about being a bit wobbly, we now know what we're talking about. So if I walked into the room and I was like, oh, how's it going? You're like, hmm, had a bit of a wobbly week. Do you think you'd kind of understand what I meant? I don't need to tell you why, how, what, what I had for dinner, what my mother said when I was seven, this is not a psychology session, you're not my doctor. All I need to know is something is not quite right and you're going to treat me a little bit differently. Yeah, This is great language to use with young people. Hey, you've got a lot going on this week, you might be feeling a little bit wobbly by Friday, is there something we can do just to help support you? If you can't think of it, if you can't even use the word, just walk into the room like this. <laughs> I want to get funding for an emoji of a jelly. Just so you can just uh, flick a jelly to someone, just send the emoji of the jelly, all right? 
So what does it feel like to be at your wobbly point? Now, I want to just throw you into this a little bit for a moment. It's stress response. Use your imagination, and in a, in a minute, I'm going to come round and I'm going to talk to one of you, and I'm going to ask you to pop up the front, pick up Nate's guitar, grab a microphone, and sing a song. How are you feeling? Now, there's always a couple who are like, sweet, finally, she's getting off and letting me have a turn. But there's other people who are having a bit of a wobbly point. What are you feeling in your body? Is anyone going to be honest enough to tell me if I honestly walked up to you right now and said, right, it's you, how would you be feeling? What's happening in your bodies when I say that? Knots in your tummy. Yeah, great. What else? Your heart rate is increasing. What else is happening? <gasps> Sweaty palms. Feeling sick. Oh, jelly stomach, I love it, a bit wobbly in there, yeah. Eyes get big, heart races, all the blood is rushing to your vital organs because I'm a predator right now. <laughs> and they're just like, so he's like, he's kind of smiling, but he's like, please don't pick me. And we respond in one of four ways. Michael, I'll get you to chuck up on there. The body responds in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Okay, so fight means you get feeling quite aggressive and you're going to do something about it. Who straight away was like, you can't make me sing? Bring it on. Who knows you're, who knows you're a fighter? We need to, thank you. If we had a fire, he's the only person who would do anything. Oh, and her, you've got a fighter over here. This is a good stress response because you're like, boom, what can I do? Now, I will fight you and I may have a knife. Um, because I am from West Auckland, uh, but that's all good. So fight. Now the other, another response is flight, where your natural response is to try and get away as quick as possible. You start going, who was secretly thinking, where are my keys? It's going to grab my phone, it's going to be quick. Who, who, who knows you're a flighter? You would get out of difficult situations. You'd be like, okay, see ya. Yep, yeah, I'm out of here, I'm a flighter. Who's freezing? They're just like, they just go really still. You just don't even know what to do or say. Cool. And what they're thinking is, if I keep really still, she might not come over here to me. <laughs> this is a very effective stress response. Because if I'm a pterodactyl and he's a little bird, he's like just trying to keep really still. Kids do this at school all the time. They go all quiet, you know. And you think, you know, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And the kid just goes very still. And he's thinking, if I just keep still this annoying woman will leave me alone. And eventually I do, so they learn. There's another one called fawn. Fawn is where we over-apologise. I'm so sorry. We fall on a sword immediately and we're like, oh my gosh, it's all my fault, it's all my fault. I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. I'll do anything to get you off my back. We become the martyr. Now, sometimes it's easy to look at others in this, but let's have a bit of fun. Let's look at some animals who may have reached their wobbly point. All right, what do you see here? This is my friend Charlie. How do we know he's reached his wobbly point? He is running. What sort of mode is he in? Flight. He's out of here. Now, what about this guy? Who's the, what about the guy with the big eyes? What do you think he's doing? Freeze. He's gone into freeze mode. Little bunny rabbit. Fawn. He's looking cute. Might be trying to hide as well. What else have we got there? Oh, these guys are interesting. Dogs just like... What's going on? I was just trying to be friendly. What's the cat doing to make itself aggressive? Getting paw up. Look at the tail. What's happening? Making itself look bigger. And we do this when we get upset. We try and be big. I like a puffer fish. They go, 
And then they're like, blub, 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 blub. <laughs> but we do, we want to make ourselves feel big and look big under those circumstances. And then there's these guys. Oh, they're just cute. I know. Now, isn't it interesting, though? Do we judge the chicken for running away? No. What is the chicken? Why does the chicken run? Cross the road. Thank you very much. But we, do we judge the possum for going still? No. What's the, why, is it, why is it freezing? It's, it's scared. What's, it trying to, what's its brain trying to do? Keep it alive. But we judge ourselves. Somebody gets angry and then we get really upset. Oh, that's so, oh my gosh, you're so out of control. But it's actually a really effective stress response. Because the little cat that looks angry and we're like, oh, that cat looks mean, might be protecting its babies. Might be doing something really rational. Might have just had the worst day ever and that dog is just up in its grill. So we judge ourselves more harshly than we judge others. Who's ever walked into a meeting and you go in and you're like, mate, I'm going to tell them what's up. You get in the meeting and you get in and you just go, you can't think of what to say. And they start telling you stuff and you're just like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. Then you get out of the meeting and you're like, ah, oh, I'm writing a speech for next time. So you write a speech. And other people say, oh, you should say this. Oh, if I was there, I'd do this. And you're like, yeah, yeah. And you go back in, get back in there. You're just like, oh. And then you come and you think, I'm such a loser. I'm such a wimp. I'm such an idiot. We do not need to judge ourselves so harshly because we have reached our wobbly point. My challenge to you today is to go home and make a jelly. Make a jelly for pudding with your family and ask some really key questions. How will I know you've reached your wobbly point? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to treat you? We plan on the good days for the tough days because on the tough days, you're not going to get the information you need because stressed out brains are... Offline brains, it's too late in those days. So how do we get around this? I have got one more little gift for you. Once you've had your jelly, you've talked about your wobbly point. We don't cry wolf on the wobbly point. We don't come in and be like, oh, broken an nail, reach my wobbly point. It means something really big is forming inside of you. It's not good. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't have people up our sleeve or on hand. So I've given you a little card. Every person has a card, and this is called a Jelly Buddy card. Now, what's your Jelly Buddy? Your Jelly Buddy is someone that you have pre-planned to be there for you. Now, you might not like the idea of a Jelly Buddy, but you can call it the Concrete Club if you like. I don't care what you do. Just have somebody up your sleeve. My Jelly Buddies, we sit down in advance, and I say you have permission to check in, come and hang out, and if need be, get help. Michael and I are jelly buddies for each other. We have both been the one at the doctor, sitting with the other person, going, my partner needs help. It's like, you know, when you take your kids to the doctor, and they've been coughing all night, and then they get to the doctor and they won't cough. Anyone had that? And you're like, cough! And they're like, no, no, I'm fine. Sometimes it's hard to recognise inside yourself. We've both been there and had the other person going, I'm fine, and we're like, he's not fine. Give him the drug you know, actually help him out. We need to be there for one another and have your Jelly Buddy cards. My Jelly Buddies know that if they ask me a question like, hi, how are you? And I say, good, how are you? Good. They have permission to ask further questions. 
And if they turn up at my house and I won't open the door, I say, break a window. And if the cops turn up, show them your card. This will stand up in a court of law. This may not stand up in a court of law. We have yet to test that out. But you need to be planned in advance. Your challenge this week, I'll be back next week to talk further, is to pray over who's going to be your jelly buddy. And it may not even take that much. You might just know straight away. Who can you trust? Who could be there for you? Spend some time with your whanau talking about their wobbly points. Have a laugh. Have fun. Eat the jelly. But remember that God gave us these incredible brains. Rather than fighting them and battling with them and trying to get rid of them, it'll be great if we actually learn a little bit more about them. All right, we're going to continue with some singing, but I just want to pray really quickly over that stuff so that we can continue next week where we've left off. God, we thank you for our brains. (laughs) We thank you for making us remarkably complex. But we also thank you for the tools and the gifts that you have given us in our hands. We also lean in on you, God, today, and we thank you for wisdom and insight. I pray for every person here for strength for today and hope for tomorrow, that they would be able to have the tough conversations in a really beautiful way in their worlds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.